So well, it is great to see everyone. We are in, this is episode 18. I'm going to start referring to sermons instead of some, they're going to be episodes now. So this is the longest running series we've ever done. We took, we took a short break for our secret series, which we did for four weeks. But there's, there's 18 uh, uh, episodes in this uh, sermon series going through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's called Return to God. And um, I'm going to do the recap again. It's the last time we have to do it. If you haven't been here, just for old time's sake as well. And, you know, just like every good TV show that does a recap at the beginning, right? Except you don't have the option to skip it. You don't have the skip button because you're like, oh, I just watched the last episode. Don't need a recap. That's like old school TV, right? With streaming services, don't need a recap anymore. But I'm going to give you the recap just for nostalgia's sake. And in case you're new, just to catch you up to speed as well. So in good TV fashion previously on Return to God. Well, there we go, someone like that, there we go, thank you. So there are some actors around, I can do some with some help workshopping that intro, we can get better at that, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> wow, I deserve that, I deserve that. It was 90%, it was 90%, all right. So what's been happening in the Bible, the big story of the Bible, God saved the people from slavery called them out of, of Egyptian slavery, called them into their own land, uh, chose them to, to be his people, to shine the light of his goodness and his law and his ways to the world. Uh, sadly, those people failed. They failed time and time again. You read, just read First and Second Kings, not so good. Constant failure, recurring failure. It got so bad in the end that God intervened in a very radical, very direct way, sent foreign nations to conquer them, and they were taken into exile. And they were in Babylon for 70 years. And after 70 years, people begin to return. One of the people who returns is this guy called Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. And he approaches Artaxerxes for resources to help rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem, parts of the wall have been destroyed and the gates have been burned down. They're vulnerable. The remnant that had remained there is vulnerable. And so he seeks these resources to return to fortify Jerusalem and to restore not just their safety, but to restore the ways of God. That's the big thing that they're going for. We want to have the proper temple worship that God had shown us to do through the ministry of Moses back in the day. Why does all this matter? Why is it important for your life? Why is it important for my life? Why is it still relevant for today? Well, there's millions of reasons actually why it's still relevant. The biggest one is that the story of Nehemiah is setting up the coming of Jesus. That's what the whole Old Testament is about. So Nehemiah is, is, is working towards the coming savior of the world. That's why this is so monumental. That's why this matters so much because through a descendant of Abraham, the savior of the world is predicted, prophesied to be born. And that's, all the, that, that's what's undergirding the whole story that we're looking at uh, through Nehemiah. So in, in, in the last few weeks, what we've looked at, we looked at a few things. We've looked at the repopulation efforts of the city that even though they had restored and fortified Jerusalem and it's physically now much safer than what it was, that the people that had returned from Babylonian exile, they're living in the surrounding towns, the surrounding region. And now they had these very direct, very pragmatic and vision casting efforts to, to really draw people into the city, to say, value the city. We've got to restore the city. We've got to see the city thrive and see it do well. And uh, so we've, we've been looking at all of that. And uh, to, to, to maybe the surprise of a lot of Gen Zers, uh, didn't take, there was no hashtag campaign campaigns to get this going. We didn't, there was no like hashtag pray for Jerusalem, no hashtag love the city. There was no hashtag Nehemiah's the goat. Uh, no, none, none of this stuff. No hashtag buy property, no, you know, hashtag Instagood, hashtag viral, like none of it's there. 
Um, there should be hashtag God help Gen Z. That should have been one. Uh, but nonetheless, it was just good old fashioned team effort. It was just good old fashioned team effort. And they responded to God's calling. And then last week we saw at, kind of as a finale to their success of restoring the city and calling people back into the city and restoring their, their worship, we see this massive dedication ceremony, this massive celebration ceremony where I was trying to strong arm Merrick into starting a choir, uh, as somebody put it. I'm still hoping for that choir. I was talking to somebody today, actually, who's, who wants to be part of the choir. So I already got one person in the choir. We built, it just takes, you just start with one. Start small, don't despise small days. We're gonna keep it going. And uh, we learned about the dedication and, and the celebration ceremony that they had. Now we're gonna finish in chapter 13 today and we're gonna read the whole chapter. So forgive me for that. I'll make it very fun and exciting. 31 verses here, we'll get through it. Don't worry, you'll survive. And you know, <laughs> It's so hard for us, right? We love TikTok videos, right? It's like we can take things in like five second blasts. And if it's not good enough in five seconds, then it's like, no, refuse it onto the next thing. So we're just gonna read a lot of Bible today. That's what we're gonna be doing today. It's, yeah, we're gonna do it. It's gonna be fun. Let me set it up though, just to, so you got some context for this, this last final chapter 13, unlucky for some, not for us. Um, it's a little bit... Uh, it's a little bit tragic actually, but it still ends on a high note. It still ends in a, on, in a good way, but it's a little bit tragic. They have a bit of a setback. Nehemiah has to go back to Babylon for a little short little break. He's actually still an employee of the Persian Empire, still, still on the payroll essentially of Artaxerxes. And if you remember back to the very first week, all those months ago, of this uh, 18 episode uh, mini-series we've been doing, long, not mini-series, uh, multi-series that we've been doing. Uh, Nehemiah, Artaxerxes actually asked him, like, how long are you gonna be gone for? And he gave him permission to be gone for a certain amount of time. So time has come. Nehemiah has to go back to Artaxerxes. And I'm sure, you know, as an employee of, of the Persian Empire, I'm sure the benefits weren't great, but it probably looked good on his resume. So that's, that's a positive. We don't know how long he was gone for. He could have been, it could have been six months, a shorter six months. It could have, been, could have been a year, could have been a couple of years. Probably not more than that. Probably somewhere between six to 12 months is, is most likely. And in that short period of time, it's a little disheartening. It's honestly a little disheartening because last week we had this big celebration, like we did it, we're back to the promised land. We've restored what we lost, like we're ready to go. And Nehemiah's like, all right, I gotta go back to, to, to art, you know and uh, take care of business there, the people drift again. They drift again. Oh my gosh, they drift again. And it's, it's a little depressing to think about the human situation overall in general, how we drift so easily. And Nehemiah has to do like a, kind of like a mini reformation to get everyone back on track again. So that's what we're gonna look at today. Let's pray and then let's read. Jesus, teach us through your word. Help us to understand how important, how relevant, how powerful this truth is for us. Help us to learn from the mistakes of the past and the lessons of the past. Help us to learn your truth, your ways, that we might be those who are courageous and uncompromising. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 13. It says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses. So this is probably De Deuteronomy fifth book of the Bible, in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, 
For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated Israel, sorry, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. That's from the Ammonites and the Moabites. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their, in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses, Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedadiah the Levite, uh, of the Levites, and as their assistant, Hanan, the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah. For they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers. Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes and figs and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Uh, Tyrians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing? Profaning the Sabbath day did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates 
that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. That's a direct threat. Just if you're not sure, if you're not clear, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. It seemed to work. Then I commanded the Levites and they, uh, that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days, I also, uh, excuse me, in those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Amon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Whoa. And yeah, hey, the Bible, it's like an action movie. It's very exciting. And I made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for, your, or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him and he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? I actually married a foreign woman, but that's a different story. And one of the sons, we'll get, I'll explain it, don't worry, we'll get to it. If you're offended at anything in this passage, don't worry, we'll get to it, we'll figure it out. 28. And one of the sons of Jehoiadad, the son of uh, Eli, uh, Eli, Eliashib. Eliashib, I said it right earlier on, I got stuck, thank you. Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite. Sanballat's back, guys, we haven't heard about him in weeks. It's been since episode four, I think. So, wow, all the villains are showing back up for one final battle. All right, therefore, therefore I chased him from me. Man, I would love to see that scene. He's chasing them out. Remember, remember them, oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleansed them from everything foreign and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work. And I provided for the wood offering at, the appoint, at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. This is God's word. We did it, guys. Round of applause. Round of applause. Not for me. We did it. All right, that's my sermon for today. Thanks for coming. We, no, I have a few, a few thoughts prepared, a few thoughts in mind. So we, four big things that we see in this passage. We see that Eliashib, thank you for getting me that, that one right, Eliashib, the high priest, has turned parts of the temple into the personal apartment, dwelling place of Tobiah. Uh, we see that's, that's the first problem. Second problem is uh, that they have stopped giving their tithes again and their offerings again. And so the, the first one about messing with the temple, this is about them devaluing the their worship and not worshiping properly. The second one, with the, they're stopping their, t their tithing again, uh, this is a problem they had before, is about 
they're losing their generosity towards God. Uh, the other thing we see is that they're violating the Sabbath. Again, this is about them not, not being restful, not, not trusting God for provision, that they've got to work all the time or be doing things all the time and not properly resting and pulling back. Uh, and then the fourth thing we, we see that's a problem is, is they're, they're marrying people of other faiths. And it, it mentions like foreign women and I cleanse all the foreign things. What it's talking about is when it says that, it's talking about these people have beliefs. It, the issue is not with foreigners. The issue is with people of other faiths. And when we, this is a recurring problem for them. When they mix their faith, this is about them compromising on their faith. We'll get into it as, as we go through this. So what's happened here is Nehemiah was, was, was a great force for good, was, was, was a, a strong force for and many other leaders like Ezra and others as well. We're getting the people back on track, back into God's ways. And now in the absence of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is gone for six months, couple of years, whatever it might be. And in that short period of time, the people have drifted back into their old habits. Isn't that the case? We do, what do you, drift, you, you drift back into the things you've struggled with in the past, right? You, we tend to go back to those cycles. We tend to go back to, that's what the people were doing. They're going back to that. And uh, this is a real failure of those, those leaders. They're not living up to the, the legacy that they've been left with. Nehemiah had left them with a legacy. And um, even if you remember this from previous weeks, they, Nehemiah had had this big kind of big situation where they even signed and put their seal on a covenant. It was a public thing. They all said, we're not gonna, yeah, we swear, you know, we swear on whatever it is. We swear, we're swearing on our own word really that, hey, we're not gonna do this stuff. And then they get, they're going against that, right? So quickly against it, you know, and they're destroying Nehemiah's legacy. They're destroying the legacy that God had given them. And this is why I think, you know, I think like somebody like George Lucas could, could resonate uh, with this, actually. I was thinking about that as a, as a possible parallel for today. Legacies being not honored as they should be. That's a different side point, though. I'll be talking about that in a future series uh, called Star Wars, the New Testament. Um, <laughs> no, I just made that one up on the spot. That was bad. All right. Paisley's dying down here. <laughs> You know, you know, anyway, okay, let's not get into parent jokes with kids. All right, dad jokes. Do I, am I, how bad am I, on a scale of one to 10, how bad are my dad jokes? Just let me know. There are one, what'd you say? 90%, that's it, so nine, all right, great. Thank you, that's very kind of you. Um, all right, right, where am I? I got totally lost here, sidetracked. So uh, this is a big challenge. Actually, every generation has to learn this, this, this issue, right? You can have a, a um, God raises up a spiritual leader or, or a few key leaders at a, you know, in different generations and they're people of great passion, people of great conviction, people of great clarity, and they help organize and pull people back to what matters most. And that's how you have change in the world is that you have brave key people who rise above the others and uh, cast a vision that, that, that captures people's hearts and say, this is the right way to live. And then the, the danger is then once that person goes, once that person moves on, the danger is then everyone else who's kind of left to try to carry on that legacy kind of can struggle with it. They can get sidetracked by and get off track and forget the right way to go. And so this is a, a real problem generation to generation of this happening. And one of the, it's almost like a happy accident, actually, the way this happens in Nehemiah. There's a really cool leadership lesson and principle. If you're in charge of a ministry area, you're in charge, you have any kind of leadership responsibility now, or you aspire to it, or you might have it in the future. Really cool really cool insight here is instead of just, because oftentimes people leave a role and just go on to something completely different. This is kind of a bit of a, 
well, Nehemiah didn't design it this way. Perhaps God designed it this way. Probably, obviously God does do that. So this is God's plan. But Nehemiah was gone for a shorter period of time where the drift could only go so far. Because if you, the longer you leave it, the bigger the drift. And so he's gone for a shorter period of time. He's able to come back and say like, because it's not as bad as it was when he first got there. So, so yes, it's not everyone. The things that are happening here, it's not everyone. It's just some select people that are doing these things. And so as a leader, a great lesson is to say, to turn over your area of responsibility to somebody else because you have to, you know, we have to team things up. You know, somebody, people can't lead everything, something forever. So you always have to be looking to the next generation. That's why we're investing in our kids. That's why we're, we're doing kids ministry and youth ministry, all those things. We're investing in the next generation to teach them the ways of God. And you have to have that, that, that mind, the eye for that. And, but you have to then delegate things at a certain point and then be, be gone and then come back. Because in that short period of time, you can come back and you can see, oh, this is what we missed. This is what wasn't quite translated over to the next set of leaders and the next generation. Like we thought we had baked this into the foundation, but we didn't quite realize we missed something. And you, really, you're not going to know unless you have that short gap, you have that short break. And then you can come back and see like, what, where were the problems? And you can try and set it right. That's what happens here. So let's go through some of these things. So uh, this is a bit of a, there's some repeat themes here because we've gone through some of this uh, through the series. But one of the things uh, that comes up is the intermarrying, marrying people of different faiths. And so they're reading from Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and they discover, oh, um, it says here that the, the Ammonites and the Moabites, they're not allowed in the assembly of God. And um, and the reason is because, well, when we came out of Egypt, they didn't help us. Um, they just left us to fend for ourselves. We were right there. They were right there with us. They could have helped us. But worse, it's not just that they didn't help. They hired Balaam, this false prophet, to curse them. So they hate the Israelites. The Ammonites and the Moabites, they hate the Israelites, they don't, they're not just like indifferent, like we're not going to help you. They're like, we actively want your nation to be destroyed and we're hiring people to like put curses on you and that you might fail and die in the desert, all that kind of stuff. And so because of this, this it's now written, kind of a pretty serious consequence to that. It's now written in, in Jewish law that you can't marry anyone from that, those, those two people groups, Right? Now, when we, when we hear, oh, they're barred from the assembly of God, we hear, to us, that sounds like, oh, you're, you're barred from gathering with the, because assembly is a gathering, you're barred from gathering with the people. Um, you think like, oh, we just said, yeah, you can't come to church on Sunday, something like that. Just watch online. That's all you're allowed to do. You're not allowed to come. That, that, but it doesn't mean that. It, when it says you're, you're, they're not allowed to join the assembly of God, that phrase means they're not allowed to marry into the people of God. That's what that, that phrase means. It doesn't matter how rich they might be. Doesn't matter how attractive they might be. Doesn't even matter even if they've got an Irish accent. Don't marry them. Don't do it. Now, it sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Sound, a couple of things we've got to learn about this. We've got to get in the right mindset, right frame to understand. You know, the Bible takes a bit of time to unpack. We're going to unpack it. And this was a time-bound ban. It only applied in the Old Testament era, so it's not forever. So you know, if you're a single Christian and you fall in love with an Ammonite or a Moabite, 
if they're great, you know, if they're a believer, great, it's fine. But also there were exceptions to this. So Ruth, who was a Moabite, married Boaz, who was an Israelite. So there was an exception there. She obviously found faith in the one true God. So there, there can be an exception there, but the, the general rule applies. And this was to ensure the, the spiritual purity of God's people. Because think about it like this, unless you have someone like Ruth who actually, turn, you know, doesn't hate Israelites and actually believes in, in God and believes in God's word, uh, then essentially what you're bringing into your, you know, imagine bringing somebody into your own family or your own house. You're bringing people into, into our city who hate us or people, people bringing people into your own culture who hate you, who despise you, who, think, who want to hire hitmen against you. Is that gonna go well? Just offering the question, is, is it gonna go well if you bring people into the, your own environment who hate you, have murderous hatred in their hearts for you? Not gonna go very well. You don't take a cat and put it in a, in a dog shelter, right? It's not gonna go very well. So the children born of these marriages, they would have, because the people who are compromising on this weren't taking their faith seriously. And so if the Israelites who had who had compromised on this and, and married these, these women from these other nations, they're not very strong in their faith. And so the children of these, these marriages are probably gonna grow up with the influence of their mothers of that same hatred for Israel. So over the generations, as you go on, you're gonna have more and more division internally. And also they point out, they don't even know our language. So it's not an issue of one language is better than another language or super, it's nothing like that. It's saying that they, don't, they can't even understand their own scriptures when we're teaching, when the priests are teaching, they're not even going to understand the ways of God because they can't even speak this language. And that's going to cause more division and you're going to dilute your faith. Can't, you're going to be drawn away from, from to idolatry and worshiping false gods. This is going to happen over and over and over again. And the Bible is constantly warning believers of Old Testament and New Testament. It, it destroys the legacy of your own faith when you marry somebody who doesn't share your faith. It destroys it. So we, we need to become people who are generational in our thinking. This applies not just to who you marry, but it applies to uh, you know, who you have a relationship with, but it applies to lots of different areas of our lives. We've got to be, we've got to be think, people that think about the future, you know, the present and the future doesn't belong to me, but my actions now can greatly affect the future. Either my actions now can build up the future and build up God's plans, or my actions now can like sabotage that and destroy that in the future. And we don't have the luxury of, having a DeLorean and building a time machine and going back to the future to fix things. Like once certain things are done, you know, God can redeem things, but there are certain consequences that you have to live with as well. So that's one of the big, we, that's a repeat from previous weeks, but that's another one to mention uh, again. We, uh, we see also here that, that Nehemiah responds to this in a very strong way. He roughs up some of these men. And uh, yeah, it's a little brutal. And this is hard for us to understand. With our modern day sensibilities, this is a hard one for us to understand. At this day, in this time, in this era, this was pretty normal to do something like this. Now, it doesn't tell us if, if Nehemiah was right in doing this or if he was wrong in doing this. This is one of the confusing things that people don't understand about the Bible. The Bible will tell us things that people did and it's just telling us that they did it. Sometimes, because there are horrific things that some people have done throughout history. And sometimes it's just telling you what they did. It's not saying you should do this or this is a good way to do it. With this, we, it's not clear if, if it was fully justified or not. Although I will say, as governor, 
Nehemiah had the power of law enforcement. So as it talks about in the book of Romans that, that the state is the, the avenger of God. This is where the avengers assemble and appear in the Bible. He's the, the state is the avenger of God. He bears the sword to bring about judgment upon those who do evil. And so as God's chosen governing leader, he actually has the legal right to bring about punishment upon people for breaking the law. So again, I don't know if we would look back and go back in this time and say, well, he went a little bit overboard with, you know, roughing these guys up a little bit, or actually it was the right thing to do. I don't know exactly how to sort some of that out. But what I do know is this, is that his response tells us how serious this was, that we should not dilute our faith by yoking ourselves, as, is, as Paul writes in Corinthians, by yoking ourselves with those who don't believe. Thanksgiving will be terrible, Christmas will be even worse, just don't, there's, there's no need to, to make those things terrible. The other issue we see here is they convert part of the temple into a living quarters for Tobiah. So remember Tobiah, he's one of, the ne- he's one of uh, Nehemiah's uh, nemesis, and he uh, has found a way Nehemiah's left, because Nehemiah had dealt with Tobiah before, right? And, but now Nehemiah's left Tobiah, he's weaseled his way back in. And it turns out that he's, rela- we, we've learned this, I think in previous weeks, that he's related to Eliashib, the high priest. So there's some nepotism going on here. There's a family connection, there's strings being pulled. And what Tobiah manages to do is he manages to use his money, he manages to use his influence his, his, relation, his family connection with, with the high priest to, to take over one of these storehouses in the temple. And so they take out all the, that's where the, the grain is supposed to be stored, all the other things that are for temple worship supposed to be stored there. They clear all that out and they convert it into this fancy living quarters for Tobiah in the very temple of God. And this is, this is a defilement of the, of the temple itself. This is dishonoring. Only the priests are supposed to go into these places. The priests are chosen to, to deal with these situations. And this storehouse had a particular purpose for the people bringing in their offerings and using it in that, that way for worship. And, and they've, they've done something evil, something terrible. And so Nehemiah, what does he do? He shows up and just like any good breakup, he throws all the furniture out, throws everything out on the sidewalk, all the, every, all the personal belongings of Tobiah, throws it all out and, uh, you know, chases this guy off. So Nehemiah, again, is, is the boss solving this, this problem. We have to, look, we, we have, to be, uh, have the same mindset as Nehemiah in this, and we have to be vigilant that in the absence of leadership, what happens is people who have agendas, people who have plans, people who want to weasel their way into positions of prominence and power will try to do that. And in the course of doing that, cause God's people to dishonor and displace the true worship of God and distract people from their true enjoyment and pursuit of God. And we have to show the door to those people. We have to say, you see those doors over there? They look so nice. You should go through them and see what's on the other side. And then hopefully we don't ever see you again. You should just walk straight out and never come back. Sometimes, now that's rare, but sometimes that has to happen. That had to happen with Tobiah, that has to happen. Think, you might say, that sound, that doesn't sound very... Well, think about Jesus. What did Jesus do? He, when, he's in, when he's in the temple, fast forwarding now, a bit of time, right? Several hundred years, fast forwarding to the time and day of Jesus. When he's in the temple, he sees, what does he see people doing? 
He says you've turned this into a den of robbers, right? That you're, 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 you're doing all this funny business with, with selling these animals and, and tricking and people out of exchanging their money and, and, and ripping people off. And you've just turned this into a, you've turned the, the house of God into a marketplace. And what does Jesus do? He makes a whip. And he starts whipping, whipping it. Because that's what you do with a whip. You don't just hold it and be like, I got a whip. Right? You actually use, and he's turning over tables. I mean, I think, you know, I, I got to imagine that some of these people were probably emotionally traumatized by Jesus whipping, turning over their tables and chasing them out of the temple. So there's a great parallel here actually between, between Nehemiah chasing Tobiah out and throwing all this stuff on the side, sidewalk and Jesus driving the money changers out of the temple because of a zeal for the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the ways and the prominence and the priority of God. We've got to deal with these uh, different things. Bless you. So that's, that's, that's happening. So before, before there was, was Indiana Jones, there was Jesus with his whip in the temple. So we've got that going on with Jesus, with Nehemiah. The other thing that's happening in the days of Nehemiah that he notices is that people again are, they're devaluing the, the Sabbath and they're devaluing the, the tithes and the offerings again. And these were spiritual habits that God had given them to strengthen their, their faith, to give them spiritual vitality. These were um, habits of rest and of generosity. Th th these were, you know, the tithes, th this was, was a habit of obviously funding ministry, that's important, but also it's, it's a habit, a ritual of saying, my, you know, everything I have belongs to God and I, I, I wanna, I've got to learn, constantly remind myself of my own place and that God's in first place. And so I, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm willing to give, willing to release it to God. That's a big part of having your heart aligned in the right place. And they gave that up, Sabbath day, they're violating the Sabbath day. Again, this is, this is not uh, looking good. I, my guess is with this though, I have a, I'm reading between the lines here a little bit. I've got a feeling on this that actually, I think that a lot of the people actually wanted to continue the Sabbath and continue the tithe. That's my feeling. I've got a, I've got a couple of reasons for this. When Nehemiah first returned, Yes, they had some ups and downs. They had lots of opposition, lots of challenges, but they did come together and there was a real revival. Really at key points of their journey here, there was a real spiritual stirring in the people's hearts that they responded and they, they were crying out for Ezra to read them from the, the book of Moses and all of these things happened. So my feeling is that the general sentiment of the people coming out of Babylon, learning the lessons, uh, you know, we thought we wanted to be like the other nations, but then when we lived in Babylon, we're like, oh, no, that was a mistake. God's better. So I think the general sentiment of the people is we actually want to continue these things, but here they were led astray by just a couple of people, by Eliashib and Tobiah, maybe a few others as well. But it only takes a few kind of rotten eggs, right? To like stink out a whole room. Is that actually a phrase? That feels like that should be a phrase. I just made that up today, right now. You can use it. It's all right. It only takes a couple of rotten eggs to stink out a whole room. Isn't it bad? Maybe bad apples. I, I just borrowing some, I'm just borrowing someone else's and changing it a little bit. It's not, it's not original to me. All right. So what happens here is I think it's just a few people now because they've made lots of reforms. Nehemiah has, has changed a lot of things. And then once he comes back again for the sec, you know, from this trip, from this short trip from you know, being back in Babylon with Artaxerxes and he's now back again. Once he starts up the, the tithes again, what happens? Immediately, 
the whole nation start bringing in their tithes again once he clears out the storehouses. The pe- so that tells me that is the will, that's really what's going on in the people. The people want to do this. It was corruption at a higher level, which we shouldn't be surprised to hear this, right? Corruption at high level seems to be a constant problem in every generation and country on earth. Corruption at high levels and spiritual corruption at that matter. And, and so... Nehemiah has to replace these people. And so one of the specific things, it says he had to re- replace people who were in charge of the, well, the, the treasurers, the people that were in charge of these grain offerings. He had, the, these people had stopped performing their spiritual tasks, stopped their, their responsibilities. And, and when that happens, things fall apart. Things to start to turn into a dark direction. And so Nehemiah's like, we've got to find faithful people to take these, we've got to get these bad people out there and get the new people in and, and, and make sure this is sustained well. And it's so powerful to remember this, that when leadership is weak or it becomes untrustworthy, it affects so much. It, everyone drifts. I mean, it is hard to stay the line when those that you have or want to have confidence in or you have once had confidence in drift away or say things that don't make sense or start acting in different ways or just blatantly violate what you know is right and you say ah and that, and it causes you can cause your own heart to to drift and your own heart to question and that's a destabilizing thing but that also is the reason why good godly leadership is so crucial it's so crucial to have good godly leadership we have to be people our powers of discernment are trained that we don't get pulled away by the Tobias who have influence over the, the high priests. Because just because someone's got a, a title, like the high priest, sounds important, should follow them, should listen to them. Don't they have the right thing? Don't they know the right thing to do? Shouldn't I follow someone with an important title? Well, maybe not. Just because someone has a title, just because someone like Tobiah has power and influence and can affect these kinds of, just because someone looks a certain way, that that's... That shouldn't be the reason I, I follow them or trust them. Actually, I want to follow those who are leaders who are faithful, leaders who, who, who don't compromise, who are un- uncompromising, and who, who are courageous like Nehemiah. Nehemiah, is, he, once he comes back, I mean, what does he do? He just goes to every pain point that's happening and confronts it directly, and he chases people out. He's doing all these, you know, throwing out the furniture, chasing these guys off, doing amazing things, beating some people up. You know, I don't know. I mean, strong leaders do strong things sometimes, you know, whatever. I'm sure they got over it. I'm sure they were like, all right, we were wrong. You were right. And uh, got a punch in the face for it. And now we're good. All right. So <laughs> punch to the face. <laughs> Nacho Libre, punch to the face. All right. Another pop culture reference for you today. So one key leadership traits I think now, not everyone's in leadership roles or positions, but we all have leadership moments in our lives. So we can all learn from this. And if you ever want to be a parent, uh, if you ever grow in responsibility, you're going to be in a position of leadership at some point. So we can learn from this. Nehemiah has great courage. He is extremely direct, great clarity, and very importantly, he's right. So, 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 if you're in a leadership position, you, you've got to be very humble and, and be very careful to really think things through, to be like, I want to, you know, because if you get things wrong, then you have to own it and be like, I was totally wrong about that. Um, so therefore, you, you want to be, be careful to say, like, I want to make sure I'm right about this. Nehemiah was absolutely right. One of the big markers of a successful leader is courage. Having courage. Because if you lack, because... Beneath the courage, obviously, you've got to have the moral framework, right? You've got to have the integrity, right? That's the, that's the most important thing, is having that, that 
that, that integrity. But if you don't have the courage with that, you're in danger of violating your integrity because when you have pressures and temptations that come in, it's without courage, it's easy to justify things that you know in your right mind or in certain other situations you would never say yes to or never agree to. And so, yes, the integrity is the foundation of it, the, the character is the foundation of it, but courage is so important. And that's what Nehemiah displays for us is that courage. And let me say this. I think during the last couple of years, I think a lot of Christians lost their courage. I think a lot of churches lost their courage. I can speak for myself as well. I think in terms of my own leadership, I think, I think my courage has taken a few notches down. And I'm praying to God, God, just restore my courage to me. Help me be strong. Help me to not waver on certain things. And I think that should be a prayer for all of us to say, you know, if, when you get a big setback, a big giant setback, you can, you can, you can feel beaten down and, and unsure and like, ah, I just don't know. You know, this happened and this happened. Ah, I'm just not as, you know, the wind got knocked out of my sails and how do I get back on track? And man, we, we want to pray to have a heart like, like Nehemiah and to have that generational mindset. This is the big, some of the big lessons from this whole series, from all 18 episodes of Nehemiah Return to God is learning to be uncompromising and courageous. I heard it recently said that only in, in, in war, when, people, when soldiers fight in war, actually only about 30% of them are fighting. I'd never heard that before. And I was like, oh, that actually, now I heard that, I thought, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know, it was a terrifying thing. It's easy to be, be afraid and be terrified and to give in and to give in, you know, to, to fear for your own life and all those kind of things. But, and we're in a spiritual battle, we're in a spiritual war and we want to have this, we want to be those who learn to think generationally, who learn to think into the future, say, my sacrifice today, my choices today, my commitment to, the, to be courageous and uncompromising today is what can build a brighter, better, amazing future. Not just here, but for all those who can be saved into God's family and be with us forever in God's kingdom is so important. And so the big lesson of Nehemiah is to, to basically get to the end of yourself and finally realize, finally say, I don't want to be wishy-washy anymore. I don't want to be weak anymore. I don't want to give in. I don't want to follow leaders that are going to take me off track anymore. I want to be more discerning about that, but also I don't want to give in myself. I, I don't want to be compromised anymore. I want to be unwavering. And have you had a moment in your life where like something breaks, something changes, and you're like, you just you wake up, you see something in a new way you've never seen it before and something clicks, something changes for you. And it's like, some, sometimes change is incremental. Most change is incremental. It happens slowly over time. And then you look back and you go, oh, wow, I used to be like that. And now I'm like this. I didn't know, when did it change? And, it's, it's, and then there are other times when, boom, it's a big transformation. Something changes. And I feel like this is like our moment for our church to be transformed in this way to say, we're never going back. We are not going back to where we were. We're, only go we're going forward. We're going to be courageous and uncompromising into the purposes of God. The zeal of Nehemiah. Man, I want us to be a church full of leaders of zeal combined with, actually another key person was Ezra, the, the scribe and, the, and priest who not mentioned in this chapter, but mentioned in previous chapters. Here, so, so Nehemiah's zeal plus Ezra's 
commitment to like biblical education and actually teaching the next generation and turning back to the book of Moses and saying, what did it say? What did God tell us to do? Let's look at it. Let's look at God's word. Let's follow it. If it says it, let's do it. That dynamic combination of a leader of passion and zeal combined with an emphasis on there's, we've got to educate ourselves in the ways and the words of God. That zeal from this point forward in the Bible, post-exile Israel, they are different now. All the stuff, all the generations before of like, like, oh, this king did what was evil on the side of the Lord. Then the next king came along and he did what was evil on the side of the Lord. And then you have Josiah who was pretty good, but still made some mistakes and ended up just, he's a human being like everyone else. And then I'm just referencing the book of Kings. And then every generation, now with Nehemiah, something changes. They don't fall back into that pattern from this point forward. Isn't that amazing? That should give us faith and hope that what we build today can have a lasting effect. It can affect future generations. Now, you could argue maybe they took it a little too far because you get to Jesus' day and it's like you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You've got a few factions who maybe became a little too zealot about their religious convictions. But what they didn't do as a people from this point forward was turn to false gods. In the way, obviously, you always have a little bit of idolatry in that sense. But as a people, their hearts were fixed from this point forward. We've got it down now. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that powerful? That gives me such faith, such hope. Like, wow, look at what God can do. God can work. And that's my prayer for our church, that we'll have leaders like Nehemiah and like Ezra that God raises up from within us and others that God sends from outside of us to, to, to fortify us, to stable us so that we won't be people that drift away. Let me say, Trinity Church, let's be courageous. We have a bright future we have a revival ahead of us. Our better days and our best days are to come. Let's be uncompromising. Let's be courageous. Let's be faithful like Jesus who saw the money changes in the temple and said, we will not have this and made a whip and chased them out and was uncompromising in the face of great temptation. How easy it would have been for Nehemiah or for anyone just to have said, well, you know what, we'll just... We'll just change on this, or we'll just change on this, or we'll just compromise on this. And we're here today to say, no, 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 it's never gonna happen. We will not compromise one inch on any of the words in God's word because it is life. And it tells us about the greatest life that we have in Jesus. It's only in Jesus. He came, he didn't just drive people out of the temple. What did he do? He laid his life down. He allowed himself to be whipped, to be tortured, to be crucified on a cross, to pay for our sin forever, once and for all, that we might be made new. That's where life comes from, only in Jesus. Get rid of the idea of mixing your Christian faith with other faiths. Well, we'll just borrow things. Well, Buddhism's got some great stuff in it. Other faiths have some great stuff in it. No, it's Jesus and only Jesus forever. Can I get an amen? Yes, amen. And we're here. And it feels, honestly, I feel like as we've gone through this journey in Nehemiah, there's been so many parallels for us along the way. Like God, I actually wasn't sure Nehemiah wasn't in the plans. I'm a big planner. We had plans. It wasn't in the plans. And God spoke to me and said, do Nehemiah. And I was like, really, Nehemiah? I don't read, I've read it like once. I don't know. I read it more than once. That's a joke. Like twice. Um, and, <laughs> and like, really? But 
this has been God leading us to this point because God wants to build something great in you here in this place. And I'm so glad for every single one of you that's here. Let's stay together. Let's build together. We've got a bright future. We've got a bright future together in God.